Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. This week on Play Golf in College podcast, we have a special guest, John Sinclair. John is a smart man. He owns Sinclair's Golf Training Center near Dallas, Texas. He's one of only three people in the world who are a master golf psych instructor. He's a foremost expert in 3D and has one of the largest databases of PGA Tour swings in the world. He's played at the highest level, caddied at the highest level, and is one of the most respected teachers and fitters in the world. So listen up. Here we go. You have a really unique background, and I think it'd be something our listeners would want to hear about. Can you talk about how you got into teaching, what you did before, and and your story with the ice maker? I think that's really cool. Oh, I don't know the ice maker, but uh, yeah, my I did a lot of things before I played golf. I mean, before I played golf, obviously I played my whole life, but I did a lot of things. I was an electrician, um, ended up working for a company named uh, industrial catering, which we had a bunch of what people call roach coaches. I think we had like 500. Yeah. You know, the ones that go around all the, the construction sites and stuff like that. So, um, they gave me a great opportunity to, uh, learn. And I came in as an electrician and there was five of us in the, uh, maintenance department. And so we could, we built everything. We made everything. Everything was from scratch. And uh, they gave us the freedom just to explore and uh, invent things, basically. That's cool. So when we had a problem, we would, we would, uh, you know, work on it as a team or individually, however it would work out, and then we would, we would fix it. And one of those things was an ice machine that we uh, wired up and would set on these big. Uh, what would be better than anything else? Something like it's an it's an ice house. It's like a one of the mobile home trailer chassis, <clears throat> and we would build that, and it would we would you know do it all stainless steel so that the trucks could pull up to it, and we would dump 500 pounds of ice in these trucks on a daily basis, and so we had to come up with 500 pounds times 500 trucks. So wow. every day, so yeah, it was a lot, and so we made a uh, flake what's called a flake ice machine and that's where we took a drum and we it was a stainless steel drum and then made a little uh spiral knife that would go like an eighth inch off the drum and then you'd pour water on it and you'd freeze it and as it would rotate those knives would cut it off and it was called a flake ice machine so i mean those that was just my one little claim to fame (laughs) there but they let me do a lot of stuff and so I became a plumber. I got a license. I became a mechanic. I got a license. I became a HVAC specialist on the the big uh, trucks, the refrigeration trucks that you see driving down the highways, and and uh, we had a lot of those. And so, um, I remember you telling me that you actually went in and, and watched how ice developed, and you kind of yeah. <laughs> a yeah. different angle from a, from for our listeners and from approaching learning. I think that's really cool 
information. T talk to me briefly about that, and then we've got something else we want to get into. Yeah, just uh, I would watch ice freeze. How would how would it freeze? I'd sit in the freezer, and how would it freeze faster? And uh, the truth is, it came up if you would run a thin coat around a, a, a sphere, in this case a stainless sphere, it would definitely uh, freeze faster. So that's the short uh, story on it of me freezing my butt off in a freezer watching ice freeze. <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome story. Um, but you have a truly unique perspective. You're a master golf psych instructor, um, expert in 3D, expert fitter, expert teacher, junior golfers, college golfers, anybody. I think the perspective I came from was individual learning first and foremost. I really take pride in figuring things out on my own. And uh, that's kind of how, from golf perspective, when I got tired of playing the, the golf and I wanted to go teach, I really didn't read the books, didn't care to know what everybody else thought. I wanted to do my own way, my own investigation, and I went that route. Um, and then once I, I learned what I thought what I was doing, then I started exploring other ideas and see you know, what was right and what was wrong. And, and I, I felt like that was a better way to do it, although you know, I screwed up 800 million times um, along the way like anybody would, just trial and error trying to figure things out. But I just did it a little different. I didn't go shadow anybody. I didn't get mentored by anybody um, except in the mental game. Uh, John Stabler and Dr. Deborah Graham with Golf Psych, certainly I would call them my mentors in golf coaching. Uh, I've been with them for 20, I guess now 20 years, 21 years maybe, maybe 22. It's 2019, yeah. So, I, I mean, they're still my mentors in that, that range. So in the mental game, I felt like I needed a lot more help because I was pretty mental when I was playing. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and so they helped me through uh, learning how to play better. And, and uh, then when I just decided that, you know, I just wanted to teach and I didn't want to play, um, we started with the golf psych schools. And John Stabler and I worked really hard to make sure those schools were uh, very good and that you could go to either one of us and get the same experience. And, and we worked really hard on that. And that's been going on since 2000. So probably the most uh, important thing that I do for a golfer is teach them mental skills versus the technical skills. And, you know, that perspective for me is the most important. So when you come into a lesson with me, it's mental first, always mental first. And the technique comes through uh, mental. And I know your audience is juniors and the college players, and that's what I wanted to make sure I got across in this is most college players that I see, you know, let's just say top 80 schools in D1, top five players in those schools, all of them have swings good enough to play on the T PGA Tour. So even on the ladies' side, you, you would have maybe not that many, but a, a good portion of those could play on the LPGA Tour. And what I always hear is I want to take my game to the next level. You've probably heard that 80 million times too. And yeah, and all of them are referring to their swings. And nobody ever refers to their mind. And they don't realize the difference that a tour player is than a really good, let's say, amateur scratch golfer 
or a plus handicap, even that. Um, they are, it's not their swings are better. Their minds, they think differently. The way that they approach things is different. And then when you get into the actual PGA Tour and you can separate them out like we do at Golf Psych from a champion PGA Tour player versus an average PGA Tour player, the champions think even more differently than the average tour player because you can easily see that they all have the skills, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, what separates a Jack Nicholas or a Tiger Woods or you know, any of these great champions over the years, uh, a Lee Trevino, you know, of uh, these guys over the guys that are just as skilled as they are hitting the ball. And it's the mental game. What is it specifically that you think separates, you know, the really good college player that has the swing that is good enough to get out on the tour from the guy that actually makes it, in your opinion? Um, well, in, in the definitely again in the middle game but if you wanted if you wanted to say in the technical aspect well, i would definitely say the short the game but we were talking about middle game so let's go there yeah so in the middle game it's just the thought process and, and understanding that when you make a bad swing you don't have to spend three hours on the range working on your swing because you hooked it on number four mm -hmm. um you've got to realize what caused that uh you know your brain is controlling your body. So if your body doesn't respond, then you have to figure that, you know, the information that was given wasn't good enough, wasn't clear enough. And I'll usually take a something out of my pocket and throw at somebody and, and, and they'll invariably catch it or it'll hit them and then they'll react to wherever it falls. And I always ask them, what was the instructions that were given? And the instructions that were given are the ball, you know, this object, usually it's my keys flying through the air and they <laughs> see it. And, you know, it's not, nobody says catch it. Nobody says anything, you know, they just do it. And so the instructions are that visual of the keys flying through the air. And then let's say they miss it and it hits them. Then it becomes feel oriented of where did it deflect? Where did it go? They may not even see it, but yet they make a motion and catch it coming off their body. And that is, that is the instructions that we need to give a player to swing. So when you're just sitting there, say, put your hands in a certain place, that has to be translated. And so it becomes very clumsy. So it's a, it's a client's responsibility to understand that they have to turn these things into, into concepts and images that they can they can deal with because we can't come up with all those for them. We can give them great ideas and all that, but it, ultimately they have to come up with something that works. So when you tell them to put their hands in a certain place or their body in a certain place, they need to be able to feel it, see it, touch it um, without the direction of, you know, turn my hips, you know, or, or something like that. So, so they have to go through a, a mental process and the better players will get that so much quicker. It's very hard, you know, y'all teach a lot of, of uh, adults too, I'm sure. Engineers, you know, accountants, those guys are harder to teach. Um, just as a general rule, and I hope to, I, please don't offend all the engineers out there, but they're, they're harder to teach simply because they're so practical in the mathematics and how everything should be and this is how it works out. And they lose a little bit of that vision that we need in the field. 
and I find them much more difficult to teach. Awesome. Hey, John, when we're talking about commonalities or separating factors, obviously the, we, you touched on a lot of the mental things, which is, is right on the money. Uh, what would be some of the more technical side of things that we see between uh, either really good juniors, really good college players, or as we start getting to the professional level from a technical standpoint? Um, commonalities is, you know, speed, I guess, would be one commonality. There's not a lot of those in the swing. Um, a commonality would be the trail heel, you know, moving towards the target first. These are all things that nobody ever writes in a book. Um, usually they talk about grip, stance, posture, alignment. Um, I don't see anything common about those between tour players at all. Um, so it's not even can even be considered a fundamental. Um, you know, trail arm uh, being flexed and extending, I think, is a, a very common thing you'll find with the tour players. Um, and that's pretty much, yeah, there might be a couple others, but that's it. Other than that, you know, do whatever we can do. Um, what I find the most common things with, with the tour players is the pitching motion. It always goes back to the pitching motion because I've had all these people on 3D and I look at them and, and the pitching, that stood out more than anything. They all in 3D, their kinematic sequence looks very, very, very similar. And it doesn't matter how they're coached, what they say, uh, the coach says, that's one benefit I have with working all the different coaches is that I get to hear different ways of saying things. And then in pitching, it tends to come out the same no matter what they said. The player figures it out. The good pitcher of the ball have somewhere, some way they figured out to launch it about 27 to 30 degrees on a stock pitch and, you know, wedge shot. And then they make a certain motion where they're non, they're not decelerating their pelvis or their thorax. It's a coasting motion, so you're maintaining acceleration through impact. <clears throat> and that coasting comes from uh, my good friend uh, Tyler Farrell. He named it when we were talking about it one day as coasting, and that seemed to resonate with a lot of my clients, so we've stuck with that. Oh, so yeah. that's, that's a huge thing that I would see, that we could teach any handicapped player, if they learn how to make that motion, they're going to pitch better. John, I think one thing that you said that, might uh, even raise some eyebrows is when you talked about uh, the lack of things that are truly you consider fundamentals from a technical standpoint. Um, so if, if the average thing you're reading, like you said, you're going to be talking about grip, stance, posture, all those kind of things. What would be some things that you would consider fundamentals then? And I think your perspective is unique because you've got a database uh, from a 3D standpoint that most people have for starters, they may not even know what 3D data looks like. So maybe go into a little bit about your database as well. But what would, what would be some things that you would consider fundamental? Um, just what I said earlier, that'd be probably close to it, is the trail heel coming towards the target first in the foot instead of moving away or straight up. Um, all the database shows any, you know, you can even go into the, the most uh, scratch golfers would do that, where... And it's really just the, a torque thing and a pressure thing and how they're using the ground. But you'll see it. The, he, the heel will come uh, forward first. In fact, I, I was with James Lights just yesterday, and he was showing me some of his force plate data. And there it was, the same thing on the transition, is seeing that foot, the trail foot, if you're right-handed, torquing clockwise. So that's 
definitely a, I would say that's a fundamental to good ball striking. Um, having a flexed trail arm extending through impact, I don't see any tour players that don't have that. And that would certainly, I think, would be a fundamental. Um, but I'm, I'm out. You know, I'm out of fundamental. <laughs> you know? So, um, and, and I look at a fundamental as something every player needs to do to be successful. And what I would gauge that by is if you're at a tour level and then in my database, you know, I have a hundred something tour players. The one I used the other day for the risk angles, I only uh, used 65, which all were captured in, when they were in the top 50 in the world. So I, I, I kind of separate that out um, as a top uh, database that I use. And it's something they all do that's common. And that's what I would call a fundamental. I don't know anybody that grips it the same. Um, you know, I, I don't know anybody who stands the same. I've got players that are 20 yards right of the target to 30 yards left of the target. So how is your, your alignment? You know, it may be fundamental to that person, but it's not fundamental across the board that we should everybody be on the railroad tracks swinging the golf club. Yeah. might be a good place to start. I mean, I would definitely say I have a system where I start in certain places and then see how it goes and then expand from there. But, but it's not going to end up that way. And, and I think we should have our eyes open to the fact that, uh, you know, these things that were in these books that I read, you know, later after I learned a bunch of other things that, I mean, they make for a good read, I suppose. And, and if, if it helps somebody, that's great, but it's not really reality. And that's what 3D taught me more than anything is what's reality. And the reality is that, it's very difficult to put people in a box on, you know, how tall are they? How long are their arms? How, you know, how do they do that? It's a very difficult. And I, you know, EA Tischler and Mike Adams do a great job in their biomechanics and compartmentalizing uh, players, but still within those compartments, there's endless variations. So there is no real, I would say fundamental to do this game other than, you know, I would say a, a, a kinematic sequence, truthfully, isn't even a, a fundamental, but the hips going first, I would say, okay, probably that is a fundamental because I don't have any players that don't do that as far as rotating towards the target first. Um, but I have lots of great ball strikers that the, the thorax decelerates before the, uh, the arms or vice versa. So... We, we have them on both a sides. A lot of that just shows the importance of having a really good coach who's a, a pretty strong problem solver as well and being able to really get to know the player that's in front of them and what they need to do best for them. Right, and I think that was my point even in the wrist angle thing the other day is, is you know, if we look at these people and try to put them in a box, we're gonna they're not going to get the most out of their game. And if we're all trying to teach a, a flat wrist or an extended wrist or this or whatever we our preference is, we're not going to get to everybody. We're, we've got to have a more open mind to, to that player's individual needs and how they best match up striking the ball. I mean, you know, that's, that was hopefully I got that across in that part the other day. So. Let's, uh, let's transition just a little bit. We want to talk to our listeners a little bit about the fitting process. Uh, okay. I had the opportunity of being fit by you 
a little over a year ago when we were in Las Vegas. Uh, and I thought my experience was even just being with you for that hour or whatever it was, was pretty impressive. And uh, a close friend of mine also flew out to Dallas to see you as well. And he had the exact same impression of working with you. Do you go ahead, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about your preference or your opinion of fitting in general, the importance of it, uh, especially for the better player, but even for the average player as well. Well, I think it's it's important for everybody. I mean, this is I don't even teach people that we don't have fit clubs. I'm not going to fight a golf club. Um, I think in the fitting process that you go to most uh, box stores or whatever, they come out with two upright of clubs. Then we're you know they wonder why they got chicken wings and all this stuff, and it starts right there. You get a six degree upright club. First time you swing good at it and it hooks, that's the last time you're going to swing good at it. <laughs> you know, and so that one's a big giant fight. So I just refuse to even, you know, first thing I'm going to do is look at the clubs and go, okay, we got to make these at least doable. And then, you know, then work with them within being a teacher, fitting them throughout our journey together as, as coach and client. So that might change over time too, to get them maybe a little flatter, a little flatter, a little flatter. Um, but certainly I think everybody should have their clubs fit. Even the, 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 the most beginner golfer, you just shouldn't go to the store and just buy something. You should have some help, you know, getting something close enough that you can start with. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be a fitting like I would do that takes four days, but you know, it, it could be something that you could go through and, and, and have something that at least you could swing. So I think that fitting process is hugely important for everybody so you know that being said i think also i do it a little bit different than most i'm you know i, I got so frustrated with you know especially driver shafts uh graphite that you know it doesn't work the same from shaft to shaft it didn't you know i could buy i could fit somebody in a shaft and i order the club and i get the club and it's not the same and of course that to me isn't very good commerce you know, here you are selling somebody something that's not what you sold them because the consistency of the way that shafts are made aren't uh, up to that kind of a stuff uh, or snuff, I should say, up to snuff. So what I started doing is fitting people and then they always just take the demo. The demo is there and I just keep replacing the demo and that's the way it was. And I know I had, a, you know, tour players come in there and we're going to do a driver fitting and there's 25 shafts on the wall and they look at me like I have three heads and what are we going to do with all those? I'm like, well, I mean, we're going to get lucky and hopefully not have to hit them all <laughs> because, you know, that's all it was. And, and, you know, certainly there's, there's understanding of the launches and this and that and, and shafts for all that, but come on. I mean, you guys have done it long enough. You know, it's got, it's a lot of it's luck because you don't know what you're handing them and you can do all the EI stuff you want, but, the two shafts aren't the same. And I, I did just do some robot chesting um, and I've proved it. I don't know how much I'll, I'll publish that, but, but uh, cause I don't want to, you know, hurt anybody in the business. Cause I think there's a lot of good quality stuff out there. Um, but they, they couldn't repeat the shaft. Um, and that's why I got involved with TPT. So finally we have a shaft that can repeat, you can make the same shaft over and over and over again, and it's perform exactly the same. And now I actually know in the fitting, you know, what the ball is expected to do when the player swings at it. 
you know, and, and that's been a tremendous help to me and in the player. And I'm not worried about, uh, you know, if something happens and they get another, they need another driver, the shaft's messed up or whatever, because I can just give them the same shaft and know we're in good shape. And that's been a huge, huge leap forward in the past couple of years in, in fitting is making sure people understand that the shaft that they get is the shaft they're going to get and they'll perform. And no matter what happens to that shaft, they can get it again. And that process is now different than the normal way of making shafts. I know y'all probably don't want to get into all that, but, but the, uh, definitely that now that I can fit and I understand what I'm doing when I fit somebody, I know when the ball should go right. I know when the ball should go left. Um, that's been so much faster and actually producing better golfers right off the bat. So, so that's been my fight with the fitting. Tell us a little bit more about the results you've seen from these TPT shafts. We're obviously involved in those two and have seen unbelievable results, but give us just a couple examples and then we're going to transition to something else real quick. Yeah. I mean, just the, you know, it's not uncommon, you know, for even a tour player to gain 10 yards in the air. I mean, I've had some gain 20, you know, I've had one gain 30. So, you know, that's crazy. And that's just being able to really fine tune and fit the shaft. And your average guy that comes in there had one come in here, oh, I guess before I came to Orlando and he gained 20 yards in the air and he's a, you know, a guy shoots 85. Now, how do you think that's going to help him? It's going to be huge. <laughs> you know, he's going to go out yeah. there. He's going to lower his handicap because he's two clubs on average. And I don't do this. I'm not stating these numbers from longest to longest. I'm stating them on average, the average of 10, 12 shots with each shaft. What do you gain? <clears throat> and when you're, you know, 20 yards in the air closer to the hole, um, on average, you're going to shoot lower. That's a proven fact, even out on the tour. Yeah. You know, I think, so what, I, I think what's crazy about what you just said, too, is when you're talking about the tour players, they've obviously been pretty well fit. And we're not talking about someone who's never been fit before, and then you're coming in for fitting process, and then you're being properly fit. We're talking about someone who's already been really well fit and even has equipment that's built for them. And then they come in and hit something else, and we're seeing dramatic dis differences and, uh, from someone who's already been fit. Right, and, and, and fit by the best fitters in the world. And, and that's how <laughs> that's, it's, it's just because what – the design of the way that they hand roll shafts is inherent to a shaft that may be a, a good quality shaft and all that, but it's inherent to how do you repeat it? You know, when you have to control your, your, the zero for the, just say the stiffness that goes down when you place that fiber straight down the shaft, when you control that at, at supposed to control it at zero degrees, and a human's rolling it day after day after day, eight hours a day. I, I don't think any human can do that on a really great uh, basis because you get tired. And, and, yeah. and when did they roll it? Did they roll it Friday? Did they roll it Monday morning? You know, who, who did it? When did they do it? How are they feeling when they did it? I mean, to me, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And lots of variables are right. Right. And the TPT does it with machines. And so that definitely has changed and, and it's you know made ruffle some feathers because it's so such a product disruptor uh and they can't reverse engineer it and figure out how they do it 
that's the other part that TPT has over everybody else is the other manufacturers can't figure it out. And it's, I would imagine if I was them, I would be a little bit worried about it too. Cool. All right. We're going to transition to something slightly different. We want your best, funniest story from your years coaching or playing golf. Oh, it's got to be appropriate though, John. It's got to be what? <laughs> it has to be somewhat appropriate. <laughs> somewhat appropriate. Well, I don't have any bad ones. So um trying to this think of my best. This could be even if a tour player you've had that's come to you or you out playing, something that happened in a fitting process, anything. Um, the, the first thing that probably comes to my mind is, is I've been fortunate probably uh, more so than others to be able to, as a young kid, hang out with uh, Lee Trevino. And, you know, known him for, I guess, most of my life. I'm always surprised when I see him again and he remembers me and it's awesome. Um, but the, it was probably, I played golf with him probably two years ago, the last time I played with him. Um, and just still blog, boggles my mind because, you, you know, you tell people that, that he did it and he, they, you know, uh, the aim point guys will tell me that's impossible. But anyway, so he has a putt. That's probably breaks about a, a foot and a half to a foot somewhere in that range, left to right. And one of the balls in the group were, were in front of him. And, and he says, uh, I think one of the guys in the group says, hey, let me mark that for you, Lee. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'll just hook it around it. And we all kind of sat back and went, what? You know, and he's like, no, no, I got it. And he hoods his putter and he chips this ball and it hits into the grain a couple times and it just goes you know, it, it hooks and it goes straight up and he missed it on the high side. And we're all sitting there just dumbfounded on how he made that ball just check up and spin against the green and then roll up the hill. And, you know, we're all just sitting there and he kind of looked at us all and said, uh, what, y'all never tried that before? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the guys in the group said, well, Lee, it never occurred to us to try. And and then he looked at us and laughed. He goes, that's why y'all hadn't won any majors. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's and uh, I thought that was one of the greatest things. But at the same time, that was so telling of, I got, I got several Lee Trevino stories, but that's so telling of, of a difference. We go back to the middle game of, of, a, of a guy that is a champion, obviously an unbelievable ball striker, but uh, a champion that the way he thinks, he needs these animated things in his mind, he doesn't hit straightforward shots very well unless he animates. You know, he'll put a tree in the middle of the fairway in his mind and work it around it because he's got a wide open shot. And he does all these things so he can, you know, react, like we talked about the keys throwing. And he doesn't just sit there and go, well, this technical, I got to go to this technique and do all these things to hit this shot. He just creates this world augmented reality and then he creates a, a vision to hit the shot and he hits it and it's amazing to watch to be honest his human skills are just off the charts right and i think because he allows them yeah did he beat a lot of balls yeah i sat there and as a kid an eight-year-old kid behind him watching him hit ball after ball after ball i used to just be amazed and and but uh, you know he rarely ever told me anything that was technical you know, even in the bunker play, I'll give you that story real quick. In the bunker, I was a little kid one day, and he, he, I was in the bunker with my wedge and, of course, duffing it. And I don't remember how old <laughs> I was, but I was 
probably seven, eight years old. And, and he stands on the end of the bunker and he says, John, he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, well, Mr. Jarino, I'm trying to get, trying to hit it up to the next to that pin. And, and he's like, well, you're not doing it very good. And I was like, no kidding. <laughs> and he said, you play baseball. And I said, yes, sir. He said, so grab one of those balls and stand like you're going to hit the ball, put your weight on your left. He said, and just throw it underhanded all the way to the hole. And so I did. And he said, and just hold your finish right there. And I said, okay. And I threw it to the hole. And he goes, now just do that with your club. And I mean, I took, and I'd only use a pitching wedge because I didn't have, you know, anything else at that time. And I stood on, on my left side and I felt my right hand and I acted like I underhand threw it to the hole. And that ball goes up there and spins next to the hole. And he looked at me, he goes, and never forget that. And he walked away. <laughs> and I've been a great bunker player ever since. And I thought that was that was probably the best lesson. And I didn't even have any lessons. So I was probably 27. But little things like that that he would he would say. And you know, early on, even he'd point at your left back of your left hand. He goes, "Ball starts wherever that's pointing." Now tell me that in way beyond his years. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, as a kid, that's that's probably helped me more than anything. Is when he told me that is the ball starts where the left hand's pointing. And the back of that left hand, I was like, okay, you know. But to me, he was God, you know, and anything he would say, I would just soak it up. And and uh, God, I should say, in the golf world. Right. But those are, those are a couple of funny stories. Really, really it. good. Hey, thanks so much, John. We appreciate your time, and um, our listeners are going to love this. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, John. We appreciate no it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Silent. Silent.